So I don't know. There's a, there's an element uh, of, of sadness. There's great joy. There's great. And uh, I'm just having trouble pulling it together. So just bear with me for a moment, folks. Love you all. Good to see everybody here this morning. <clears throat> folks, we are on a journey. We are on a journey through this letter that Paul penned to the church at Philippi. And it's a journey to try to capture to lay hold of the overwhelming and the overcoming joy that we as believers have, that we as followers of Jesus Christ, we are the only ones that can experience that level of joy. And it comes from knowing Christ as our Lord and Savior. Last year, or last year, last week, we, uh, uh, it's been a long year, hasn't it? Last week, we talked a lot about, uh, well, talked some about the situation in our country, the, the trials, the struggles, and, and how to maintain a joy over that. And I, I fear that, uh, I, and, and by correction, that I did not give due credit to those trials. Now, by that, I mean this. Trials and concerns are real. They're real. But needs will probably, in the coming months and years, probably increase. Persecution is going to increase. And folks, we need each other. We need each other. But ultimately, we need to lay hold of the promises of God. This is no time for a pity party. I I don't know how many pity parties I have personally hosted. And nobody ever shows up but me. So, you know, there's a time when you just say, move on. But that is not to dismiss the trial. That's not to dismiss the, uh, the, the time of suffering and sorrow. It's just to say that God is greater than all of that. And when we feel like we're coming apart, he's holding us together. And we need to, to rest in that certainty. But today we want to look at the joy of God and our joy in him, our joy in Christ. Uh, Zephaniah writes a beautiful passage, and it says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exult over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. And some translations say, sing singing over you with joy. I don't want us to miss this as we go through the text because we are emphasizing in one way, in most ways, our joy in Christ. But brothers and sisters, I want you to know this morning that God takes joy in us. We are his joy. We are the fruit of his redemptive work. And God takes great joy in us. Amen. Philippians 2, beginning in verse 1, if you would like to stand and are able to give honor to the word of God this morning. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition, or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Verse 5, 
have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we ask that you would bless the reading of your word this morning, be honored by it, and Father would be pleased of the application that is imprinted upon our hearts. In Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. We begin with a call to unity. And it is clear that true unity can only be found in our common relationship with Christ. And our common relationship in Christ will demand unity. So our first point of consideration is our imitation of the Lord. Now, that word can be a little bit misunderstood because I do not, do not want imitation uh, uh, to sound like a, a, a cheap knockoff. Does that make sense? <laughs> you know, uh, we, we see all kinds of imitations in uh, viable goods out there. Well, that's just a cheap imitation of this or a cheap imitation of that. Uh, this is talking about the real McCoy, uh, living a life that models the Lord Jesus Christ. So our first point is our imitation of the Lord. Paul writes, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort and love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And this key verse, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now, again, I want to qualify, and, and I think we have sufficiently, what imitation in this sense means. And this, this being Christ-like in all that we do and all that we say, living a life that models and gives witness to the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit will bring about unity and harmony. But when the, within the body of Christ, there's also diversity. So Paul is not telling us or teaching us the principle of uniformity. He is teaching us the principle of unity. Brian used an example uh, of a sports team uh, this morning, and I think that finds its place in this illustration also. How many people have played sports? Yeah, football, basketball, track, tennis, you know, whatever the case may be. Tennis more of an individual sport, I guess. But team sports, team sports, you played those. Well, did you play every position on the field at the same time? I know we've all met people that wanted to. <laughs> but folks, it, it's not about that. It's about the unity of the team. What does the team do? They each take their particular roles as top priority. 
I am a quarterback, or I am a running back, or I am a guard, or I am a, whatever the case may be in whatever sport, they take that position uh, critical and understand that it has to be in harmony with every other position on the field. And what's the, what, what's the, the, the end goal? Well, it's the end goal, all right? It's the, it's the purpose that they gather for. You know, I, I, I was thinking about this, and this is, uh, this is one of my squirrel moments. You, you ever have them? No, squirrel? You're just distracted for that little moment? Have, have you ever heard the term hitting the wall? Anyone in athletics has probably heard that before. Long-distance runners, it, it happens. When you hit the wall, you, you, you're done. There's just nothing left to give. I have noticed... I have noticed here lately, in recent years especially, that somebody keeps moving my wall. Anybody experienced that? My wall is now much closer to the beginning than it is the finish. How many have experienced that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Boy, I tell you, I, I've been, uh, this heat, this heat. Yeah, I hit my wall yesterday morning about 30 minutes after I got up. I don't know why we went there, folks. It, it helps relieve my own internal tension, I guess, but uh, praise the Lord. Team illustrations. Well, folks, we have been called to a greater task than just a sports adventure or a sports endeavor. We have been called to be the body of Christ, representing Christ in everywhere we go, in all that we do. And look at the characteristics of being imitators of Christ. Love, affection, sympathy, humility. All of these things are, are part of the character that is in us through our relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, I've shared this before, I, and I, I, I'm hesitant, but I'm going I'm to share it because I don't like using me as an example. But I, I think this is worthy. I want to encourage others to consider this. Telling your mates, telling your children on a regular basis that you love them. I try to never leave the house, to never go anywhere without telling my wife that I love her and giving her a kiss. Because if I don't ever get back home again, if that's my last moment before I leave the house, the last thing I want my wife to know is that I love her. The last thing I want my children to know is that I love them. A couple of weeks ago, I was having a very difficult day, a very difficult day, and, and I can't explain it all, doesn't matter, but I needed to come to town for something, and I abruptly just uh, got in my vehicle and took off for town uh, to come to the church to pick up something I'd forgotten. You know what? It was the most miserable 15 minutes I've spent in years. And I'm serious. As I was driving to town, <laughs> this, is, this is crazy. This is my moment of confession. As I was driving to town, I was thinking, please, Lord, don't let me die. <laughs> I didn't tell my wife I loved her. I didn't kiss her before I left. And, folks, I was terrified. I, I just Not terrified, just, just a moment of panic. It was wrong. It just I shouldn't be out here like this. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I praise God for that moment for that moment of how important it is to tell our loved ones that we love them. 
Because, folks, I'm not here as a prophet of gloom and doom. I'm just here as a, as a pastor of reality. Life is that fragile. It's that fragile. And it is over in a moment's time, a split second. It can be over. Tell your wives, tell your husbands, tell your children that you love them. Model Christ. Model Christ. Isn't it nice to wake up in the morning and hear Jesus say, I love you. Isn't it nice to go to bed at night and hear Jesus say, I love you. Let's model that. The only way to follow this pattern is living, of living is to have Christ in us. And here's how it happens. First Peter, Second Peter writes, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. There it is. God has given us everything that we need to live this life that He is calling us to. I... I you know, we, we all have a past, right? And, and some of us has a past we'd like to forget. But you know what? I may remember it, but God doesn't. Praise God, I'm forgiven. Christ paid for my past at the cross of Calvary, and I am forgiven. I, but I want you to know I never want to go back. I never want to go back. Gary, you want to go back? No. no. Why not? Give me a testimony. Because of hell? And that's where you was headed ultimately. But Christ stepped in, didn't he? He stepped right in the middle of that muck and that mire and said, Gary, you confess me and I'm going to take that pass and I'm going to throw it as far as the east is from the west and I'm going to remember it no more. And Gary said, lover of my soul. What else did Gary say? Come on. Give me a hoop. See, there it is. There it is. And then Gary said, Woo! <laughs> Folks, that's, that's joy. I, I mean it, and I don't want to be flippant about this, or, 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 but that's joy. That's joy. That's fun. Who, who we got over there praising the Lord? Elaine, is that yours? Oh, praise it. <laughs> Are you having fun? But I want you to tell, I want, I want, want us to understand something here, folks. Being imitators of Christ will cost us. It will cost us. Self-denial. Paul says it in verses 3 and 4, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. How's that going to sell in the world today? To put others ahead of ourselves. But folks, that is the model of Christ and everything that he did in his, his, his life ministry here on this earth was denying himself and putting you and I ahead of what he could have remained. I'm going to get to that in just a moment. So, oh my goodness, I'm getting excited. The rich young ruler going to cost him. 
It's going to cost him. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And said, all these I have kept from my youth. Yeah, right. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and then you'll have treasures in heaven and come follow me. Jesus said, deny yourself. Pick up your cross daily and follow me. Brothers and sisters, John the Baptist understood it. He said, I must become less. I must decrease. He must increase. That's the life of every believer. There's our model. Now let's see how all of this was put into place. Point number two. Woo! (laughs) Point number two. We've looked at our imitation, now the Lord's incarnation. The Lord's incarnation. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Listen, Jesus, the Son of God, eternally existing, transcending past, present, and future, entered time and became one of us without compromising his deity. John says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. Listen, the word did not pretend to be a man or play at being a human being. The word became flesh. The word did not beam down and fill a body. The word did not enter the flesh, as is suggested by some, but literally was born into this earth as a human being. Martin Luther says this, the mystery of the humanity of Christ, that he sunk himself into our flesh, is beyond our human understanding. The act of Jesus' incarnation is the clearest and most profound act of love we could ever imagine. Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Wow, think about that. As, as in compared to deity, as in contrast to deity, he took on this flesh of humanity and compared to the glory of heaven, he becomes nothing. But why? Because he valued you and me. He valued you and I. He was willing to give up everything that he had with the Father in glory. But even though he was the Lamb crucified before the creation of the earth, he knew his purpose, he knew his destiny, but he willingly stepped out of that realm and took up residence in the womb of a teenage Jewish girl. Come on, let's wrap our minds around that. The infinite, all-knowing, all-powerful God came in human flesh. Max Licato in his, in his work, God came near the omnipotent. In one instant, made himself breakable. He who had been spirit became pierceable. He who was larger than the universe became an embryo. And he who sustains the world with a word chose to be dependent upon the nourishment of a young Jewish teenager. God as a fetus, holiness sleeping in a womb, the creator of life being created. God was given eyebrows, elbows, two kidneys, and a spleen. He stretched against the walls and floated in the amniotic fluids of his mother. That's God. That's God incarnate. Have you ever drawn that mental picture before? 
You know, we recently have been uh, uh, celebrating with, uh, with the pregnancy of the kids' older sister, Kelsey, and uh, uh, we was in town actually on Friday, and we got a recording, a recording of the baby's heartbeat. Isn't that incredible and just fascinating? Well, that is our Lord, not literally, but as he grew in the womb, same thing. The word became flesh. God became human. The invisible became visible. The untouchable became touchable. The eternal life experienced temporal death. The transcendent one descended and drew near. The unlimited became limited. The infinite became finite. The immutable became mutable. The unbreakable became fragile. Spirit became matter. Eternity entered time. The independent became dependent. The almighty became weak. The love become hated. That's what happened. That's what happened. The God-man, Jesus the Christ, without his humanity, he could, not, he could not have died. Without his deity, he could not have provided the perfect sacrifice. If at any point he were to lose any part of his deity, the universe would have collapsed because he created all things and by him all things are sustained. So don't get into this area where he gave up. But listen to this, and I want to draw very quickly from what Dr. David Jeremiah says about this. He answers it so well. He did not empty himself of deity. This is a critical to our understanding of redemption and salvation. What did Christ give up without compromising his divine nature? Number one, he relinquished his place. Secondly, he refused his prerogatives. Third, he renounced his privileges, and then he restricted his presence, and therefore remained fully God but set everything else aside. Does that make sense? You see, you look at all the things that he could have done. It was his privilege as the creator of the universe. He could have done anything he desired, all-knowing, all-powerful, omnipresent. All of these things were his in glory, and he set that part aside, maintaining his deity, because, listen, as deity, he's the only one that can do that to himself. Now, I want to be careful not get into an area of heresy because some would say God in his sovereignty in order to let man have free will limits his knowledge. That's heresy. <laughs> That's heresy, okay? But Jesus temporarily set that aside willingly so that he could maintain his deity, take on humanity, and provide the sacrifice. His joy our redemption, and here's the point, therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted." faint-hearted. God in all of who he is came to a place where he recognized that my, now it was not an, a, a revelation to God, but, but God in his, his sovereignty decided that my redemption was such a highly prized object, he was willing and happy and eager to leave his place in glory and come to earth to live just like men. I can't fathom that. 
that his place in glory became secondary to our redemption. And the only way to make redemption and atonement for our sins was to take on the flesh and blood of man. I don't know how else to explain it. Have we gotten any further along in this mind-boggling concept? But you see how I had to check myself on two or three different occasions because God was checking my language and how that can be misunderstood and those areas of misunderstanding have led to heresy down through the centuries. Fully God, fully man, fullness in both deity and humanity with no mixing and no compromise. Number four, the Lord's humiliation. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death. The creator of heaven and earth, the one who commanded the wind and the waves, healed the sick, raised the dead, delivered the, uh, the possessed, came to earth, was persecuted, betrayed and denied, condemned, stripped, beaten, tortured, hung on a cross between two common criminals, suffered the anguish of being forsaken, and died. F.B. Meyer says, From below, Satan and all his hosts assailed him. From round about, men heaped scorn upon him. From above, God dropped upon him the pallor of darkness, symbol of the curse. And from within, there arose the bitter cry, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Into this hell, this hell of Calvary, Christ descended. Descended. And Hebrews 5 says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal life. Salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God as a high priest at the order of Melchizedek's. Will you believe today and bring joy to the Lord? Will you believe today and bring joy to him? What, what greater gift could we offer the Lord than to confess him as our Lord and Savior? Because of everything that we have been talking about up to this point was what he was willing to do for us. Now can we bring joy to his heart by saying, God, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner and you're my only hope as the Savior of all mankind. But we can't skip point five. So before the altar call, I give you the last step in this series of passages. We have looked at our imitation of the Lord, and then we have looked at the Lord's incarnation, subjugation, and humiliation. Therefore, God exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we kind of zip through some points there, and if you were trying to fill in the blanks, I encourage you just by simple review. We are called to be imitators of the Lord Jesus Christ because he gave us the gift of salvation through his incarnation, his subjugation, and his humiliation and therefore God exalted him. And we call that exaltation. He reinstated his place, his prerogatives, his privileges, and his presence. His purpose completed and his promotion received. 
I thank Dr. Jeremiah for those points. The joy of Christ, brothers and sisters, is the redemption of man. The joy of Christ is the redemption of man. Will you believe today? Does our unity bring joy to the Lord? Or is there disunity somewhere that grieves him? It's a time of recommitment, maybe a time of repentance, a time of surrender. Are you saved? Is all your hope in Jesus today? You see, our salvation is his joy, and his joy is our salvation. I've heard people say, if uh, you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Uh, and then I've heard others say, if you want to make God smile, do this or that. Well, if you want to bring joy to the Lord, repent and believe. Repent and believe. You see, the writer of Hebrews nails it probably most clearly. That Christ was willing to subject and submit himself to all that he endured. Because of what? The joy set before him and his joy was completing the will of the father the task assigned I don't understand that and I'm not here to tell you that this finite mind has grasped the realities and the fullness of the infinite God incarnate coming in the flesh but I know that it was necessary or we would have no salvation. We'd have no salvation. So we know that it's true. And brothers and sisters, friends, I cannot go, nor can any man go any further in explaining the joy of Jesus Christ and the joy of having him as your personal Lord and Savior. The only way that you can ever fully understand that is to get saved. Because I can tell you all day long, about this, that, and the other, but you'll never get it because I am explaining a spiritual truth and the unregenerated soul cannot lay hold to spiritual truths. So if you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, and that begins with the recognition of our needs as sinners without hope, when we come to that point, Jesus rises in front of us and says, come to me. Come to me. I can take care of that. I can take care of that. And I can put that past behind me. And I can lay a new and glorious future before you. And now we both got joy. I got joy because you're saved, and you got my joy because you're saved. That's the way it works, doesn't it, Doris? That's the way it works. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for the time that we've had together. Lord, it uh, seemed to be a little difficult. I confess I struggled. But i got to trust that you're greater than <laughs> all of that. Because you also remind me that uh, we don't gather here expecting to hear profound things from a human being. We gather here expecting to hear great things from our great God. And no matter how weak we may appear, you will always be.
be mighty. So I thank you for joining us here and thank you for your promise to never forsake us, to never leave us. But Father, if there be one this morning that's never accepted you as their personal Savior and never come to that point in their life where they said, yes, I want to be a child of God, be born again, born with the Spirit, I pray that this would be the day they receive new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand as we have our song of invitation.